Thanks, Frank. Good morning. You guys can have a seat or keep standing. I'm actually good either way. I'm, I have a lot of kids, and so I'm used to people doing something other than I thought they were going to do. So today we're wrapping up our series, uh, Grow. I once was stuck. And uh, we've had a, a little hiatus in there. I had to be gone Sunday. And, and uh, then last Sunday was our Vision Sunday, so we're a couple weeks out. In our first message, we talked about what it meant to be a disciple, what it really means to follow Jesus Christ, and to kind of sweep the religion out of that and turn that into something that was practical and real and something you could actually do on Monday, not just talk about on Sunday. Then the next week, we talked about quiet and how we have to, we have to get quiet to hear from God and how we have to just have a rhythm in our life that is a rhythm of, of peace and of quietness. Today, I'm going to talk about the Word. And I, um, I don't know if you want to say if I'm, I'm, I don't normally tread softly. I mean, I'm like a, a bull in a china shop. I mean, a, an iron heavy fat bull in a china shop. So I don't really tread quietly very well. But um, I, do, I, do some, I do think there are some things that are very important to understand about the Word of God, the Bible, and the Word of God. And if I, I think there's a st- distinction you have to make between those two thoughts, those two ideas. But I'll tell you this, too, and I want to say this for our, our younger audience and so forth. Some of you have been in church forever, and some of you are just dipping your toe in to see how weird this is, and you already see it's kind of weird, but hang on. But here's the thing. I think the Bible's critically important, but I don't think that's the first problem you have to resolve. I think the first thing you have to settle in your mind is, is Jesus Christ, who he said he was. That's the first thing. Here's a guy who came to earth, said that he was going to die, said that he was going to be crucified on a cross, said that he was going to rise from the dead three days later. Then he actually did that. He accomplished exactly what he said we'd do. That's never happened before, never happened since. Someone who accomplishes that is worthy of not just your attention, but of listening to what they have to say intently because that person knows what they're talking about. Someone who rose from the dead knows what they're talking about. That's where your faith starts. It starts with the resurrection of Jesus. Your faith grows from the Word of God, and the Word of God, you listen and hear from the Bible. And I do want to make a distinction between the Bible and the Word of God. A lot of people study the Bible and never hear from God. A lot of people study the Bible and come up with things that God never intended. In fact, you could use the case of all the Pharisees that Jesus came to minister to when he was on the earth. All of them studied the Bible that they had up to that point, and none of them were prepared to meet Jesus. What does that tell you? It tells you that the Bible is critically important, but unless God's voice is lent to it, unless it's actually the Word of God that you're hearing through those words that might be on a page, you're not actually hearing from God. What makes it the Word of God is the inspiration that it carries. The inspiration. And so, today we are going to talk about the Word, and I'm going to tell you, the Bible is the most important book in my life. Nothing has carried me through more. Nothing has strengthened me more. Nothing has guided me more. If I have a question in life, I go to the Bible. When I go to the Bible, I read its words, but I'm listening for the Father. I read words, but I I want to hear because faith comes by hearing, not by reading. I need to hear. 
And so it's a most critically important book to me. It's the source for my soul. I've had many occasions over my life and recently that I was completely dry myself. I had nothing in me. It's an illusion in your youth. You think, man, I am young, I am strong, I am 10 foot tall and bulletproof. (laughs) And then life shows up. And you find out you weren't that strong. And you find out that things happen that there's no way you could have known they would have happened. And so I trust the Bible. And I want to share that with you today. And I want to comment the problem that people have with the Bible. And it's not, it's not, I don't think the major problem with the Bible is, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't actually think that's the main problem. It it is a challenge. I get it. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But I think our biggest problem when it comes to the Bible and hearing the actual word of God, I think, is pride. Not just our pride. I think it's not just your pride, but it's also the pride of the enemy who's trying to to make you proud so you'll miss the truth that can only be found in humility and in simplicity. And so one of the things that I've, you know, I've been doing ministry for a long time, I've helped a lot of people on their discipleship journey. One of the things that always amazes me is this, someone could be traveling this this terrible path, man. They could be wrecked. They could be destroyed in their life. And all of a sudden, epiphany, inspiration, God shows up, whatever. Bam! Then all of a sudden, the light comes on. They're like, oh, I, I have been messing up. <laughs> then, the next day, day, day one, I'm naughty. Day two, epiphany. Day three, what's wrong with everyone else? Why don't they see what I see? Why don't they understand what I understand? I have seen this more times than I can count. And you're like, I hear something going, nah, nah, that doesn't happen. It does. It's actually a spirit. It's an influence from another place. It's a, a spirit of pride, a spirit, an influence of religion even. Because this is what religion's all about. Religion is all about something the Greeks called Gnosticism, special knowledge. And so religion's like, I have special knowledge you don't have. Neener, neener, neener. I know something you don't know. And that, that, that's what religion is. That's not what Jesus is. Jesus is, I have a lot I want you to know. I want to share with you everything. I want you to take on my yoke, which is easy, and I want you to learn everything. I want you to have it all. There are all the secrets are hidden for you, not from you. Does that make sense? And so... That's the, one of the problems when you come to scriptures is people must understand that pride is going to come in and as soon as you think you know something, there's an influence that's going to show up that's going to taint that thing so that you will hold it in pride rather than humility and that will twist it. Does that make sense? This is why there's so much division in religion today. That's what I need you to understand. Not too long ago, um, someone came to my wife and they had met another of another Christian in town, another faith in town. And that person had felt, I don't know what, obligated, uh, I don't know, to attack this person who's part of our family, our ordinary faith family, and began to diminish their faith, that their faith was superior, and that their view of God was superior, and and on it went. And I won't give you the details, because then you'll start figuring things out, and I don't want you lost there. I just want you to know religion does a lot of harm. Humility doesn't do any harm. Grace doesn't do harm. Patience doesn't do harm. Love doesn't do harm. But pride and religion do a lot of harm. We are not here to fight about our theology. We're here to follow Jesus. 
You see, everybody has a theology. Here's what theology is. What I think about God. Everybody in this room thinks something about God. You may think he doesn't exist. You may think he's the center and pinnacle of your life. But you have a theology. What we come together to do is to let the Bible and God's Holy Spirit guide and direct our theology, what we think about God, so that it more impacts and is more in line with who Jesus Christ really is. The dude that rose from the dead, he's the, he's the pinnacle of everything. Make sense? So, pride's an issue. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8, 3, so I don't know if you know this, but church division has been around for a long time. Christians have been fighting ever since they were Christians. Even before they were Christians, they were fighting about it, okay? And, and it's all back into this pride. But this is a fight that Paul was dealing with in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. They were arguing about meat, and not a vegetarian, vegan, uh, herbivore, omnivore kind of meat, but a they were about meat offered to idols, because if you ate meat back then, it was probably sacrificed to something else before it got to you, and there was a big conundrum in the church about it. So Paul is dealing with it. And so there's an issue. I don't want you to think there's not an issue. I don't want you to think there are, everything's a non-issue. That's not the point. The point is that Jesus is bigger than any issue. Jesus is more important than any issue. So here's, what, here's how Paul addressed the meat problem in the first century church. 1 Corinthians 8. Now, regarding the question about food that has been sacrificed or been offered to idols. Yes, we know that we, quote unquote, I love how the NLT does this. We all have knowledge. That's exactly how he meant it. We all have knowledge. We all know so what we know. We just don't know what we don't know. Oh, sorry. I said that last part was all me. Okay. Yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue. We all know something. For while knowledge makes us feel important, pause, this is the problem with knowledge, this is the problem with pride. As soon as I know something, I think I know something, and I've forgotten that there's a lot I don't know. And so when we feel like we know something, it lifts us up and it makes us feel important. Knowledge makes us feel important, but it's love. Everybody say love. It's love that strengthens the church. I'm going to get in trouble here, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's not doctrine that strengthens the church. The doctrine founds the church. Doctrine's important. But it's love that strengthens the church. Okay? If, and anyone who claims to know all the answers... <laughs> You can use this verse on anyone you want, by the way. This is a freebie. Write it down. I work with a know-it-all. This is their verse, okay? All right. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. I call that a Paul burn. Feel free to use it all you want. No one will know what you're talking about, but you'll have a great time. It's fine. But the person who loves God is the one who God recognizes this. Man. See, that's just the Bible, straight up. And it, it's simple. That what I just read to you was not complex. Yes, I'm using a modern translation because I live in 2023. And so I, I use that. I mean, I, I grew up on the King James. Uh, and what, what year was the King James? It was the 1500s? I don't speak whithersoever thou goest very often <laughs> anymore, you know? So, and if you love the King James, praise the Lord. It's a great book. It, it founded my faith. But just know this, I have kids. I have grandkids, and when I read the Bible, 
I don't want to have to interpret it for them. I just want them to hear the words and get it. That's what I want. So I use the New Living Translation primarily if you're looking for a modern translation that's, pre- that's reliable. It is a translation, and it is thought for thought, so it, it reads so much easier than many. All right, there's my little rant about translation. So I want you in the Bible. I, I'm assuming any conservative-type pastor wants people in the Word of God. But the Bible plus pride is ugly. And I've seen it more times than I care about. And I've seen it in myself. The Bible plus humility is going to lead you to the Word of God. And you are going to hear from God. But the Bible plus pride will make you a know-it-all. It will make you feel important. And you will hurt others along the way. So when I talk about the Word, I am also talking about deep humility because... I didn't bring a physical Bible with me today. It's all on my iPad. But when you hold a Bible in your hands, you are, you are holding inspired words from God. They should be honored. They should be respected. And you have an enemy who's dying to twist them into something harmful as quickly as he can through the sins of pride and the spirit of religion. You understand? I want you in the Bible, but get there humbly, Okay? So let's start talking about the Bible a little bit. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. I, I, we should read this passage every week. It would help you every week if you just got into this text. You would know what you were dealing with the rest of the week. When, uh, the results of the sinful nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these that we've mostly participated within a church business meeting. <laughs> Burn. We didn't get drunk in the meeting. Okay, we didn't that one, but the others we covered, all right? Let me tell you again, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. When you see that stuff, you're not seeing Holy Spirit. When you see that stuff, you're not seeing Jesus. When you hear that stuff, you're not hearing the word of God, even if they use the Bible to say it. And I've heard the Bible used many times to accomplish man's will and not God's. And it cannot cannot be God's word if it's accomplishing man's will. Does that make sense? So, then he goes on to say, and this, this passage is what I look for in my life. I try to focus on the good stuff because it's too easy for me to find the bad stuff. So here's the good stuff, all right? So, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the presence of God, the essence of God, He produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. By the fruit, you know the root. You know where it comes from by what it accomplishes. If it creates love, if it creates peace, if it creates joy, if it creates self-control, I want you to know that within all of these, there is room for correction and coaching and instruction and all those kinds of things. But know this, when you are hearing a teaching, when someone is, is uh, reading something to you, an article, a meme, a video, whatever it is, if it generates what's on the first list, the sexual impulses, the anger, the division, all that stuff, it's not from God's Spirit. It's not the Word of God. 
But if it starts to produce love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control, it starts to produce those nine fruits. We know where it came from, no matter how it's packaged. Does that make sense? So, Miss Linda's with me. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back there. Just kidding. Hurt, scared humans. Hurt, scared, isolated human beings. Lonely human beings make poor choices and hear strange voices. So when we come to God's word, when we come to the Bible, we have to deal with that part of us that's hurt, that's afraid, that's angry, that's lonely, that's isolated, that's wounded. We have to come at the scriptures humbly, knowing that we are creatures that can take things wrongly. Okay? So let's get into the word itself. Paul wrote to Timothy, and he told him to study the book, study the scriptures. In in 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul writes to his his young man he's mentoring. He says, work hard, sounds like my dad there, so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly understands the word of truth. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. And then in the second book, he writes to Timothy, and he says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it. God uses it. God uses it to prepare us and equip his people to do every good work. You see, that's what the Bible's for. It launches good stuff. It launches things that should be in the world but are not. It launches things in our lives that are good. It launches things in our world that are good. So when you come to the Bible, and you've probably tried to read it before, and if you're like many, and even myself at times, you start reading somewhere like Chronicles. Don't start in Chronicles. Oh my gosh. It's like reading the family album, but it's nowhere near as interesting. I'm just kidding. You don't really know any of the people. But there are a lot of places you can pick up. I, in fact, I've started, I used to recommend everybody start in the Gospel of John, which is a great book to start in, but John is some heavy stuff sometimes. And I, I've begun encouraging people to start in Proverbs. But when you get into the Bible and you start reading it, one of the first things that people will say is, I don't understand. And that's convenient. And here's why. I don't have to do anything about something I don't understand. And here's the thing about the Bible. It's not an intellectual pursuit. We don't study the Bible so we get like a diploma from Sunday school. Has anyone got us a diploma from Sunday school? I went like all, all years, and I never got a diploma. So you, you don't have that. And so it's not an intellectual pursuit. But when we come at the Scriptures, we should be asking ourselves, what does this say? That's pretty simple. What does this say? What's, what's happening here? I just read you a passage out of 1 Corinthians 8. They were fighting in the church over about eating meat sacrificed to idols or not. And so there was a feud going on. So when you read the text, you realize that Paul's talking to angry people. 
and that there's things that he's giving them counsel about, and he's teaching them that, hey, man, because you think you know something, it's making you proud, and that's tearing the church down. So all I'm doing is looking at what the Scripture says, and that makes sense. That's not hard. Most, there's so much of the Bible is that way. One of my pastors used to tell me when I was young, he said, just, just read the Bible, and all the stuff you understand, do it. Obey it. Whatever it says, just do that. And, and the stuff you don't understand, don't worry about it. Sooner or later, you'll get to that part. And he was right. There were, in fact, there are passages that I, I met young in my faith that helped me. I met them later in my faith, and they helped me more. And I met even later in my faith, and they helped me even more. But then there are passages to this day. I'm like, Paul, were you just trying to make people mad? What, what are you thinking, man? Uh, so there are some of those. So when you come to it, there are passages. There's a passage that talk about women wearing head coverings, passages that talk about speaking in the church, passages that talk about uh, things that we're not ready for yet, worship, how the church was meeting at that point in history. No church today meets like the first century church met. We, we act like we do, but we don't. And so you just, you, those things can be challenging. Don't sweat it. Just ask yourself a question. What does it say? Simple question, okay? Next question. What does it mean? Aha! Now here's where we get in trouble. Because we don't know what, what's, we struggle sometimes with some of these texts. So we ask ourselves, we read the Bible, and we begin with what does it say? Then we begin with what, what does it mean? Who is it written to? The Bible is actually a library. It's not a book, it's a library. The Bible has history books in the library. It has song books and poetry books in the library. It has apocalyptic, future-oriented literature that's very creepy in the library. It has historical accounts in the library of the life of Jesus. It has a historical account in the library of the life of the early church. And then it has all these pastoral letters where Paul, Peter, James, John, and the guy who wrote Hebrews that we're all still fighting about, whoever that was, and he's telling people how to take the teachings of Jesus and apply them in their lives, in their ministries, and in their churches. So the Bible is a library. So when you come at it, you can't just read the whole thing like it's one book. Yeah, it, has, it means certain things. You cannot read Revelation, for example, which is the one a lot of folks like to read, and it scares them or freaks them out, or, or they just want to see a good movie about it, and hasn't one been made yet. And uh, <clears throat> you can't read Revelation and 1 Corinthians the same. Two totally different kinds of literature. Just like you can't read a songbook and a history book the same. Two totally different kinds of literature. So that's, why, that's what I mean. When it comes to the Bible, what does it say and what does it mean? Okay, simple question. Third question. This is the most important. This is why most people don't understand the Bible. The Bible is a manual on how to do things. It's a manual on how to do things. It's not a theology book on how to, what to think about. It's an, a manual on what to do. James was the, was the first letter of the New Testament was the, the letter of James. And in that, he tells us, we, we, have to, we can't just look in the Word of God and carry on with our life. We have to hear it. We have to do what it says. Now, let me 
throw a couple ideas out here, not just for you individually, but also for parents and for small group leaders. We're going to add you into the message today. Woo-hoo. Jannon's over here going, I hope he doesn't mess up my lesson this afternoon. But the issue of a small group is not learning the Bible. That's not the priority. The priority is applying it. I use the story of Peter on the raging sea in a boat all the time. So let me use it one more time because it perfectly fits here. Here's Peter. He's in a boat. Everyone's scared. Jesus is out walking on the raging waves like it's a stroll in the park on Sunday afternoon, absolutely careless that there's a storm going on. Peter says to him, hey, if that's really you, Jesus, this is the dumbest question I've ever heard, by the way. If that's really you, Jesus, why don't you let me walk out there? And so Jesus says, because Jesus is awesome, bring it. Well, he said it nicer than that, but (laughs) come on, big boy, let's stroll. So there comes this point in Peter's life that you are going to have in yours many times. You're going to be in this scary place, this scary boat in the middle of this scary storm. And Jesus is out there walking around like nothing matters. And he says, this is what the whole Bible's about. Come on. Come on. That's what follow me is. Come on. Let's learn to walk on water and ignore storms. Let's do that. There comes a point where you've got to stop studying Jesus. It sure looks like Jesus. You guys think it's Jesus? I wonder if that's Jesus out there. I don't know. Sounds like Jesus. There comes a point where you have to start wondering, do I have enough faith? You don't. Never going to have enough faith. The question isn't, do you have enough faith? The question is, are you willing to take that heavy old boot you got, slip it over the side, and hit that point? There's a point stepping out of the boat boat of no return, where either you're going to be standing on water or headed to the bottom. Right? So here's Peter. Boot over. And out he goes, and now he finds out he can walk on water. That's what the Bible is. The Bible is a continual invitation to walk on a raging sea. When you say it doesn't make sense, what you really mean is it doesn't make sense according to the order of the universe that I know. But what you need to remember is that the guy who walked this earth and died on a cross and rose from the dead knows much more about the order of the universe than you do. And so when he invites you into something that doesn't make sense, don't sweat it. It's not about your faith. It's about your obedience. And one day you're going to learn that you'll take a step, and here's what happens when you take a step of obedience. You learn. Sometimes you learn, man, Jesus is awesome and I can walk on water. Sometimes you learn that you need a Savior. Because as you recall, Peter walked a while. He lost focus. He got his eyes off of his Savior and onto the storm, and then he sank. And then what happened? Jesus just looked at him, shook his head, and said, too bad. Too bad to be you. Or did Jesus reach and pull him back up? That's the Christian journey. Learning to walk, sinking a few times, you make some failures, and then Jesus saves you, and he saves you, and he saves you, and he saves you. You just are a big mess that's always needing saved, 
And along the way, you learn to trust Him. Jesus has got me. This is what the Bible's about. It's a continual invitation to follow Jesus on a raging sea. This is, if you can ever get the Bible in that context, you'll be okay. If you keep studying it like all this systematic theology and all these really cool things that we preachers know and we'd never use, if you will study it as a manual instead of an intellectual pursuit, your faith will rock it. So find out what it says, find out what it means, and then find out what you should do. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So, the Bible has to be heard. And I'm not talking about audible. However, I do have, I have that app. Uh, man, what's that app we use at the church? version. that's it. It reads the Bible to you. That's about the coolest app out there. And uh, so I, I do like that. It is nice to hear the word, but that's not what I'm talking about. Your faith, you, you've got to study the Bible, but then you have to listen to God's word. And that's what studying the Bible is about. It's about hearing God's word. It's not about learning a textbook. And so it's, it's about hearing God's voice. See, the Bible teaches you the language of God. I don't know if you know this or not, but English is not God's first language. Sometimes you say things like that and you're like, oh, yeah, I guess that's right. I mean, he invented language, so he's got a few of them. It, he speaks to everyone. Regardless of your language, regardless of your culture, regardless of how you grew up, what you knew, regardless of what the symbols of your society are, God still speaks. This is one of the values of the Bible. As you begin to get into it, you encounter these images and these stories and these true things that happen, but they all have deeper meaning. Like the story I just used about Peter. That isn't just a cool thing that happened. That is the language of God. He's showing you the images of the text. A boat, a raging sea, Jesus walking on the water at peace in tumultuous times. We get that. There is something mythical about that that speaks to us. And we get that. And it means so much more than just the actual events of the story. Because all of us either have been, are in, or about to enter some kind of storm. All of us have been in some kind of boat. These are all metaphors, similes, images that God's using to communicate His heart toward us. The Bible is packed with this kind of stuff. Packed. I mean, from Jesus' healings, from curing the lepers, raising Lazarus from the dead, the widow at Nain's son from the dead. From the Old Testament, the, the, take, the wandering in the wilderness, the exit out of Egypt into the wilderness and into the promised land. The Bible is filled with these stories. And maybe you learned about them in Sunday school or kids' church. Maybe you never have learned about them. But all of these give us a, a dictionary, a codex, a, a, if you will, that, that God uses to speak to us. Um, last week I read a quick text out of Isaiah about the river from God. And I love that text. It's, it's one I've been in for the last week. I've been in, in Isaiah 26 and uh, the passage in Ezekiel. I can't remember what chapter it is from last week now. I've been in it for weeks and going through some things. And as I go through it and I turn to God's word, it's not the words on the page that minister to me. It's the voice of God. 
It's God taking that image of Ezekiel starting to drown and swim across the river of life that helped me see that I have more than enough for whatever I face. It's, It's the image of Teenager, teenager David and his sling shot when it was actually a sling before it was that kind of sling, this sling, facing down the giant and doing so in the name of the Lord. And that's what made him powerful. It wasn't that David was this awesome teenager. He was. He'd already killed a, a bear and a lion. But it, was, it wasn't that that was what made him powerful. It was the fact that it was all for God that made it powerful. See? That's what I mean when I talk about hearing God's word is you read the Bible and you think on it and you sleep on it and maybe you memorize passages of it and maybe you have favorite stories from it, favorite accounts from it that you linger over and you use that imagination God gave you. God will speak to you through your imagination as he sanctifies it makes it holy, but he will speak to you through that and he will use these images to give you courage, strength, healing, overcome those things. This is how your faith grows. Because what happens is you walk with God and God speaks to you and your journey grows. You start to share that journey with someone else. That's another reason I like small groups. People get together and they start sharing their journey and they minister to each other. It's like washing each other's feet. That's why Jesus did the foot washing. And they share with each other, you know, this is where I've been. This is what God has done. This is where I am now. And they share that with each other, and it ministers, and it gives us hope. And you begin to think, well, you know what? I'm there. They were there. They survived. I'm there. Maybe I'll survive too. This is how God speaks. So many ways we find His voice. Our faith grows, and everything we learn to give away, we have an abundance of. So the more we share it, the more we have it. The Bible goes on to say, as we talk about listening to the Word of God, Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God, the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and spirit, between the joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. I was talking to someone last week that asked me for prayer. And like the first words out of their mouth were, I'm broken. I get that. Broken is about the best word I know to describe human condition today. Broken means shattered. Broken meaning sharp edges that cut if you try to help. Broken. All of us are broken. But our master, our Lord and Savior, he doesn't fix broken things He remakes broken people. He recreates broken people. He takes what once was and and buries it in all that's wrong with the cross and walks out with something entirely new in the resurrection at the tomb. And that's what he does for you. We need healed. And that's where the Bible comes in. Because the Bible meddles. And I hate it. I'm not going to lie, man. You start reading the Bible and I'm like, oh, We disagree. Never works out for me, but I'm just saying, it happens. And so God gives me this Bible. I start to read, and he starts to meddle in my heart. 
And I got these broken, insecure places. I got places in me that are still six years old enduring a trauma that I endured at that time or, or a teenager enduring an embarrassment that I endured at that time. And, and those broken places are still there. And, and, and the thing about God is God knows that wounded, festering places will never heal. They have to be cleaned. God knows that in order for you to heal in your broken place, he has to show up in that broken place. And we don't want that. I mean, we like to bury our skeletons and hide from them. And yes, the Bible will stir up your graveyard. Open that closet full of skeletons and dump them on the floor. It will do that. Why? Because God wants you whole. God doesn't want any of his kids walking around feeling like they're broken. He wants all of you walking around celebrating that you're being remade that god's ending purpose for you is so much more than the world's initial purpose for you so the bible heals you it builds your faith it heals your heart he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word and we out of all creation became his prized possession God's prized possession. That's James, by the way. If, there is, if, if, if I would evaluate anyone in the New Testament as the toughest, harshest author in the New Testament, it would be James. And here's James saying he gave birth to us through his word, and we, out of all creation, are his prized possession. Your Father God is proud of you. He likes you. He loves you. He has purpose for you that's beyond your wildest imagination. I'm sick and tired of Christians walking around like they're in trouble with God all the time. You're his prized possession. He doesn't punish you for your punishment and pain. He disciplines you for your victory. He's like a coach that says, you can do it. You can run harder. You can go farther. You can do this faster. That's the Father's discipline. This God who punishes forgets that there's a God who was nailed to a cross, Jesus Christ, who took all of that punishment. Do you understand? This Word of God, this Bible, is the most powerful. It's powerful stuff you hold in your hands. In it are, is freedom. In it is hope. In it is forgiveness. In it is restoration of your life. I don't care how bad you've messed up. I don't care how bad you feel today or how bad what you're going through is. There are words. There are hope. There is power. There is a whisper of God in heaven from the throne room for you. Wave that in the face of your enemy. Like, I'm God's favorite. <laughs> Sorry, Tucker. Here's a hankering. No, I'm just kidding. It's powerful stuff. It gives birth. It changes and encourages and it equips. This is the stuff of the kingdom. I need you to understand that. Until, if you get a taste of that, you won't have any problem with your Bible ever again. You'll want to know what Papa has to say today. You'll want to know. And he will speak. In fact, there's a passage in Hebrews 13. It says that the Father is, is always speaking. And I tell people, and they don't believe me, God is a chatterbox. He talks more than my mother. You don't know my mother, but that was huge, what I just said, okay? 
She talked so much that there's supposed to be like 30 minutes of silence in heaven one day, and I don't think my mom's going to make it. <laughs> he has so much to say. The problem is not God talking. The problem is we don't know how to tune in. We don't know how to quiet our lives and turn that dial in enough. We don't have the dictionary of all those images in the Bible available, readily available to us. And we have a hard time hearing what he has to say. But he has so much to say about you and how much he loves you and your kids and your friends and your parents. He's an amazing God. And the Bible is an amazing gift. With all that I've said, I have to eventually get done or people start getting hungry. With all of that, read it. Think about it. What does it say? What does it mean? But in the end, you got to do something. You just got to do something. You see, we're human beings, but how we got to our current state of being is connected a lot with the things that we've done. And so here's the Bible inviting us to some new things to do. Some things that will push out the bad things in our life. The Bible says in James 1.21, get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. See, there's the James I know and love. Get rid of all that garbage. And humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. This text is not a text about eternal salvation. This is a text about saving your soul. This is, where, this is our struggle in life. We're walking through life with our soul being lost. We don't know who we are. We don't know why we're here. We don't know why we're so broken and messed up and why when given the choice to change, we do not. Why? Because we have lost our soul. And here's James saying, here's a gift God has planted in you when you found Jesus, when Jesus found you. And that gift... It gives you life, that gift. It grows up into you, planted in you, and it has the power to save you. So we use that to just push the junk out of our lives. The older I get, the more I realize how hard it is to stop doing the wrong thing. Like, let's talk about pizza. I think we can all agree that we've had too much pizza. Okay, we can all agree that I've had too much pizza. Okay? Here's what I've learned as I've gotten older. Quitting pizza does not work for me. I know, I've tried like 20,000 times, like every Sunday night. I'm like, I'm never doing that again. When I'm laying awake at 3 in the morning going, oh yeah, my body hates pizza. (laughs) Stopping the wrong thing is hard. So here's what James is suggesting. He said, hey, God put his word in you. God put his word, his inspiration, his influence in you when you receive Jesus Christ. So let that push out the junk. You can't stop the bad, but you can run it out with good. I could start eating, oh gosh, broccoli. (laughs) Sorry. I'm a southerner, man. I, I like pork and meat and things. The point is, you can push things out of your life by front loading your life with the good stuff the Word of God scriptures, the stories, worship, singing, being with people, ministering and helping each other, speaking to each other, listening to each other. All these things are ways we front load the good. 
And I, I would give you dietary advice, but you'd be a fool to take it from me. But it works the same. You front load with good. And it's the same with this Bible. Replace the junk with the good stuff. Do something about it. All who love me will do what I say. Take some risk. Step out of the boat. Jesus said something that the church doesn't talk about much. He said before he left, he said, you're going to do greater stuff than me. You're going to do greater stuff than me. And, and we're afraid of that. But we shouldn't be. What we should be afraid of is that we didn't try. That we didn't step out. I mean, seriously. How many of you want to get to the end of your life and found out you could have been running the waves your entire life, but you were too chicken to set a foot out and find out? And so I believe that the Bible invites us into risk, and I want to encourage you to do it. And here's something I think we need, I think the church needs, I talk about this a lot. Take a risk, and if you fail, it's okay. It's fine. Why not try and fail? Because that's how you learn. I learned to teach by being really bad at it. I'm learning to play guitar by being really bad at it. I'm, this is how things progress. So take some risk, because that's what builds your faith. One of these days, you're going to find yourself cruising the waves like it's nothing. Just because you realize you've, you've fallen enough and Jesus has picked you up enough that you realize he's got this and he's got me. That's what the word does for us. It anchors us in a good place. And lastly, enjoy some blessing. There's a passage in Revelation that says, blessed are those who hear the reading of this book. Do you need blessing? I need blessing. I need things to go well. I, I need to, to feel joy. I need, the only word I know is blessed. I mean, there are lots of other words that people use, but I'm comfortable with blessed. And this book blesses you. So throughout this series, we've talked about following Jesus and that it's a real thing. It's not just a churchy thing. We've talked about having a quiet time and a quiet rhythm so that we could listen and sync up with God himself. And today we talk about how we take the Bible and we use it as a way to hear the Word of God. The Bible is so important, but only when it's inspiring us to hear the Word of God. I want to encourage you to have it. I want you to encourage you to live in that blessing. And if you need a place to start, how about Psalms 119? It's 176 verses on how awesome the Word of God is. That sounds like a cool place to start. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this chance to come together. I ask, Lord, that you would raise up in our body and in every community of faith in this city a desire to hear the voice and the words of God. I thank you that today we've got to have a little fun, got to laugh a little bit. But I also thank you that we've gotten some courage and some strength. We are not in this alone. You did not just put us on this planet and abandon us to figure it out without you. You are with us. You long to share your heart and your dreams and your desires that are so much greater than our own with us. And I pray that today that you would inspire this body and every believer 
to hear what God has to say, to listen for God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.